0: has courses on LinkedIn learning focused on diversity, equity, inclusion for leaders, career professionals, and anyone really looking to upskill themselves and be better allies. So make sure you check out our courses on LinkedIn learning by clicking the link in the show notes. And let's just say you don't want to do that. You go to LinkedIn learning on LinkedIn, search live corporate. We'll be right there. All right.
1: Peace. Welcome to the break room, everybody. (laughs) We have a good time in the green room, which is the space before we log on. So Mm -hmm. um, we're happy to be back with you all. This is the break room. Um, Do you hear echo? Because
0: I hear Uh, myself. Nope, I hear you loud and clear. Okay,
1: maybe I'm just a little too loud. Um,
0: (laughs) You're excited. That's awesome. I am. Um,
1: I will introduce myself. I am Dr. Nikki Coleman, a licensed psychologist in the state of Texas. Um, And I am one of four co-hosts. And I'm happy to be here this evening with...
0: Hey, y'all. Dr. Brian Dixon back uh, with President Obama as well. Uh, He says, how uh, how you like me now? Okay. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Um, And so I am a child and adolescent uh, psychiatrist here in the great state of Texas with uh, Dr. Nikki, and I'm super pleased to be back.
1: Yes. So if you are new to The Break Room, um, first of all, welcome. We're excited to have you with us. And The Break Room is a podcast by Black mental health professionals for Black professionals with a mission to remind you that you matter, that you are valuable, and that your wellness and joy are a priority for liberation. So we talk about all things Black, all things mental health, all things work here in the break room. Um, and we sort of have a flow that we like to use. So we'll uh, kick it over to Brian in just a little bit. And he's going to get us started off with the tea because you got to have a hot drink in the break room. Uh, you know <laughs> it, you know it. <laughs> I'm really excited to have this conversation too tonight about the team. Um, And then uh, today's episode is about uh, frontline workers and mental health. Brian started us off in the conversation last week and talking about frontline workers and sort of how do we think about them, who they are, what are some of the challenges that they they face. And we want to drill down a little bit deeper um, tonight and talk more about mental health and resources and supports that they can uh, tap into. And then we'll close up tonight. Um, we always end with the last nerve. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just got to get it off your chest. Um, correct. And, I, you know, I feel like I have been doing a lot of the last nerves.
0: <laughs> it because, I I, with that, yeah, you're so spirited. <laughs> uh, you always come correct. So we, we love your last nerves.
1: <laughs> so we'll wrap up with that at the end. So that'll be how we use our time tonight. Um, so with that, Brian, why don't you sort of give us
0: The tea. Yeah, so um, uh, it's been a little bit of a time that has passed, but I want to set it up for you, and then I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this, Doctor Nikki. So, um, (laughs) there was a um, a post I think on Facebook uh, a while back uh, from some of our white friends who said that when they take a shower, they don't actually wash their legs, and it made it its way to Black Twitter, and Black Twitter had its way with it, y'all. And uh, to uh, (laughs) so then fast forward. Um, the question came up about washcloths. And uh, the, the question was, do white people use washcloths? And uh, Black Twitter, being Black Twitter, was like, y'all, you have to use, your, you have to use a, wa- a washcloth. That is, just, that is just good hygiene. And so I wanted to bring that because it's, still, uh, it's a debate that's still going on on Twitter. Uh, and I wanted to hear your thoughts on that because I, I think I may be one of the out, outliers. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on that, Dr. Nikki.
1: Yeah, so I do remember, so there's a, um, uh online comedian uh, that goes by Kev on stage, and I remember him commenting about the post about not washing your legs. <laughs> I remember having lots of conversation, like the bath, the shower, whatever it is, it's for the whole body. It's not just for a part. I don't, I was very confused by that. Um, but this latest development about washcloths, I'm very, I'm very, I'm baffled. Um, it explains some things because uh, I've gone to Airbnbs and yeah. or mm-hmm. um, stayed with friends or something like that, white friends, mm-hmm. and they've not given me a washcloth and that, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's,
1: I'm like, I got this hand towel and I have used the whole hand towel. to. Oh my the gosh. That. Really? <laughs> it's quite cumbersome. Because what am I going to do? Just put raw soap on my lawn? Yes. Model? You can no. raw. Yes.
0: This is one time you can raw dog the soap. Just put it on there <laughs> and just rinse it out. Just rinse it out. That's all you got to do.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no. I will be in there with that whole, whole hand towel. Soapy, heavy and wet. But I'm going to use a Cloth on this body, otherwise. Okay, so here's here's my thinking, mm-hmm. and everybody knows this, or everybody probably of a certain age. There used to be a time when you and I are of that certain age, where you may go over to someone's house, and we didn't have liquid soap, we didn't have pump soap. That's you true. had that bar of soap. When you went to the bathroom to wash your hands, you used a bar of soap on the sink. Yeah, and sometimes that bar of soap would be dirty and crusty. Yeah, that's true. You that's know true. that's true. No. So why would I? Ex- <laughs> not extend the same logic to my body you see why I need that middle I, I got gotcha. you I
0: need that middle I got gotcha. you I, I for me it's more um uh, sometimes my skin gets really dry and I get really ashy really easily and so when I use a, a washcloth or a loofah it it really kind of abrades my skin I don't know if I'm just scrubbing too hard and trying to get the dirt off I don't know and so yeah I talked to a dermatologist friend uh, that was a black dermatologist, which is mm-hmm. like a unicorn, yeah. and she was like, Hey, especially if you are at risk for dry skin or eczema, take it easy on the washcloths um uh, and it, and if you do, you so, you so take it easy yeah yeah (laughs) not
1: not on you
0: You take it easy true that and then to moisturize so and it's really funny she said one of the best it's not a moisturizer but it uh it works as a barrier which is vaseline and so all these years Mm -hmm. that your mama was putting Mm -hmm. vaseline on your face Mm -hmm. that's actually a very good thing it keeps the moisture in so there you have it like a sealant it is
1: I just have so many questions but that we won't take up all of today's time to get into, because <laughs> I could really have a prolonged conversation about this. But what I find fascinating is that you know, there are some spaces, I think, that get touted more often by white liberals, right? Mm-hmm. where there's still like this sort of colorblindness, or we're all one people, or we're mm-hmm. all humans. And that is true. I'm mm-hmm. not denying my humanity or that, um, that I likely have um, perhaps more things in common with white Americans born in America than I might have with um, black folks in the Congo right because my mm-hmm. contemporary experience has been here in the United States yep. however there's some cultural pieces that are transmitted generationally um, that I think also transcend sort of our uh, history through the transatlantic slave trade mm-hmm. that create these long standing well- entrenched differences right like, mm-hmm that this continues to be a whole conversation um, really is an indicator of how many different Americas there are within this one America.
0: That is so true. Everybody has that slightly different lived experience. Sometimes the the, um, uh, disparity is really, really broad and sometimes it's really, really close. So yeah, I'm with you. Uh, And I grew up in East Texas. And so, yes, I remember uh, sitting in that bathtub and you scrubbing with uh, with ivory soap, which I refuse to use uh, for the rest of my life cause because I'm done. It
1: will be dry Uh-oh.
0: paper. Who yeah. <laughs> 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 you <tell> her. Who <laughs> child? So yeah, we we are super happy that y'all are here tonight, and we hope you appreciated that tea because. Uh, and I don't know that it's going to be going anywhere anytime soon. So uh, if you have white friends, uh, ask them about it. <laughs> See what they say.
1: To my white friends, get a wash rag. Get a change your <laughs> of your life. Get <You> one. <laughs> and you know what i would say this to you brian she said take it easy you know you can use baby white cloths like mm-hmm. you know the tiles they make for babies are mm-hmm. much softer they're terry okay. cloth they're gentler so
0: oh that's very pleasant i like yeah, that it is it yeah. is so
1: that that's that would be my interpretation to take it easy yeah <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for that we um we know that we live in a time in a context in which there is onslaught after onslaught of Violence and tragedy and hate and just heaviness. So the the more that we can bring levity into. Oh, look at this! Thank you, Jennifer. Bamboo washcloths are super soft. Going to Amazon after this. Uh, okay. Thank you. I'm going to give me some bamboo washcloths. Um, but I think you know us being able to do the tea on a regular basis is a wonderful way for us to remember. Like, joy is important and, and levity is important and there's a space for for that um otherwise sort of what's the point
0: right amen amen and that's one of the uh the primary roles that the break room serves at work right it gives you a break from all of the other stuff that's going on so we're, we're super happy to be here
1: Yeah. so last week brian you were with us um thank you you held it down solo dolo as they say okay uh, <laughs> so we appreciate that um to talk about sort of frontline workers. And so I wonder if you just wanna maybe give us a little bit of recap for those folks that maybe weren't able to see last week's episode. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So um, last week uh, we talked about the research uh, behind frontline workers, who they were and uh, some of the percentages of um, uh, of what they made up in our workforce. Um, and just to recap, so essential workers are those folks who work in industries that are essential to the critical infrastructure viability of a country. So your food service workers, um, your, your farm workers, uh, a lot of your um, hospital workers, that sort of thing. And so if those are your essential workers, then your frontline workers are the folks or your essential workers who have to do it in person, meaning they can't dial it in from home. Uh, there's no way to work from home. And so uh, keep in mind that these are the folks who uh, truly, truly are um, um, the first line of defense in hospitals and grocery stores, um, gas stations, because they help keep our society going.
1: And uh, one of the things about the pandemic um, that I think was a a moment or opportunity for us as a country was to really have a deep reckoning with how important our frontline workers are. Um, So I work in um, in a hospital setting and I do training, corporate training. And one of the things i like to talk about with folks when we start talking about this idea of inclusion is that you are among the most well-paid, well-credentialed folks in the institution. However, the minute custodial services stops, the minute the um, uh, CNAs stop working, like the minute those people uh, are the cafeteria stops, right, the cook stop, the minute the shuttle buses stop, like when those folks shut down, the whole thing is shut down. You don't get to do your higher skilled Um, elevated sort of work if those folks are not present showing up and keeping the the bus going. And Mm -hmm. I think that's sort of a concept that people would agree with, but the pandemic, I think, helped really bring that to the forefront. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think we actually had a missed opportunity to really rethink about how we value, um, treat, compensate, care for, Mm -hmm. um, and really reflect value of for those frontline workers because we continue to sort of go along with what I would call sort of this toxic capitalistic attitude of like give it to me now figure it out right that's your job to figure it out not the fact that we are sort of All in this together. I remember Mm -hmm. um, when when we were saying that uh, in the early days of the pandemic.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we started off uh, being very collegial uh, and supporting each other with the heroes thing. And so that was one of the it, that was one of the sleights of hand that I didn't even catch at the time because I was very much um, uh, my heart was open and I was very much hey let's be teamwork and uh, and I would hear about uh, the folks in New York walking to the hospital and hearing the pots banging mm-hmm. right and we call them heroes healthcare heroes and then I started to see yeah uh, there's a, there's some issues here because these folks weren't getting raises some people some physicians were even getting laid off um, because they were speaking out about uh, unsafe work conditions and. It's it, it was very, yeah, very troubling um, mm-hmm. that all these different layers of uh, protection were just falling away before the pandemic. The layers were kind of uh, shaky and yeah. then the pandemic hit and they just disappeared.
1: Yes, so. absolutely. I, I think the other thing is um, the, the reason why we wanted to have this conversation, too, is recognizing that uh, we assume that most of our um, audience through this live corporate platform are folks that are pretty educated and credentialed and likely in um, professional um, level positions. And we know for, um, I wanna probably say the vast majority of black and brown folks in this country, many of us are the one of, One, (laughs) Mm -hmm. or one of a handful, right? Which means on the other side of that, we are also embedded uh, or come from families and communities in which there are a great representation of frontline workers, right? Like these are people that we know, maybe even um, our parents, right? Mm or grandparents, right? Um, And I I remember I have a cousin that um, works at a sporting goods store. And my mom telling me um, what I thought was earlier than was was necessary that she was being called back to go to work. And I remember being like incensed and thinking like, there has to be some sort of labor protection in there for her to to, like be able to not go to work, right? And they were saying, you're Mm -hmm. gonna get fired. And if you get fired, you can't claim unemployment. And I was like, this is absolutely insane who needs sporting goods in the middle of a pandemic, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and looking up, uh, this is in Louisiana, trying to look up Louisiana labor laws and see if there were any exceptions being made. And there were none, Mm -hmm. right? She had to go to work. And this was before we really fully understood how COVID works. And I don't even think we had mask mandates at that time. Mm -hmm. And so it was really scary. And at the it was scary for me because she's also diabetic. And I was like, she's high risk, right? Um, Mm And realizing, like, she got to eat. Mm-hmm. She she got uh, bills to pay. So oh my god! She's gonna have to go. And right, mm-hmm. that sense of hopelessness and frustration um, was really intense.
0: Yeah, and powerlessness. So, yes, so many. So um, it felt weird because so many businesses were putting their employees in the role of uh, kind of security enforcer, right? So a lot of places started to do mask mandates. Hey, wear your mask. And the frontline workers were the ones who were being expected to enforce that. Uh, You Mm -hmm. saw all these videos of people trying to walk into, you know, Costco and all these places, and there'd be somebody at the front saying, you know, no ma'am, no sir, you can't come in, you don't have your mask. And they were being accosted and beat up and uh, called out their name and the whole nine Mm -hmm. yards. Um, and it's so, uh, and you didn't see the managers running out there. You didn't see the CEO of Costco saying, hey, don't be treating my people like that. Um, they are here trying to do you a service, right? You didn't see that. Um, and it's, it's very, it's just very disheartening and disempowering um, uh, for, for frontline folks um, in this situation.
1: And so we wanted to talk a little bit about sort of, um, you know, I tend, to, I tend to think about the impact of systems on our lives because oftentimes, especially in our very individualistic American context, right? We, we make things oftentimes more personal than they actually are. Or we assign blame to the individual more so than is actually uh, theirs to, to be sort of be culpable for. And so this is where I start to think about the role of classism um, and how it is that we have a class structure in our society in which we value um, oftentimes implicitly, but sometimes explicitly, folks who are higher skilled or more educated over folks that who are lesser skilled or lesser educated, right? And that's inherently a system that recreates uh, an economic, uh, a systematic economic disadvantage for certain folks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So said differently, we tell people all the time, go to school, get an education, get a good job, right? Well, there's all these other caveats that come along with that, right? So we could talk about the intersection of of, um, sort of the tax base and how our education system is funded. We could talk about the intersection of racism with regard to that. And then that's when we really start to think about how this classism piece can sometimes be um, almost like that hamster on a hamster wheel, right? So if I come from a lower income background Folks who are frontline workers, who are wage earners, right, um, who are potentially lower skilled. And then I live in a neighborhood in which there's a much lower tax base. Mm-hmm. So I go to poorer schools. Mm-hmm. The opportunity for me to get better education to exceed those um, already existing foundational limitations for me are gonna be smaller. So the likelihood that I'm able to sort of exceed or excel, no matter how hard I work, right? Um, is really a setup. It's really a trap, Mm -hmm. right? But then we have this idea around classism, which teaches us in all sort of implicit ways that I should have more, I should be more comfortable, I've earned more because I have excelled, right? Mm -hmm. And what I want to offer is a way to sort of think about if that can be true, and could it also be true that um, folks who are willing to do the work that nobody else wants to do should also be valued, right? Should people should be Amen. able to have um, the ability, regardless of their level of skill, um, the ability to feel safe at work, right? Mm-hmm. Psychologically safe, mm-hmm. physically safe, um, that they should feel respected as human beings. They should still be seen as, you know, folks that be given grace and compassion. Um, and that oftentimes that's really not what happens at all.
0: Yep, absolutely. It's, it's very interesting. Uh, you said something and I, uh, one of my therapists uh, when I was in therapy said this to me and I was like, oh, my God, I never thought about this. Uh, she said, always be careful with the word should because you'll should all over yourself. <laughs> and I was like, that's so badass. And so I was using it in the therapy context. But when you just said that, so we as um, uh, in a, living in a classist society, and you're 100% correct, go to school, get education, you make more money, you should be able to call in when you want to, it is, uh, you should be able to get paid your worth. Uh, and I would say yes to that part. Um, but we, in that, in that privileged role, when we start to say, should, um, we need to keep in mind that number one, we might be shooting all over ourselves, right? We're, we're putting ourselves in a position, uh, that is not, um, uh, fair, um, mm-hmm. for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're separating ourselves, um, from the very people who are taking care of us. So like, I, I always think back to when I was working, uh, cause I started working at 16 and. I worked at Ecker Drugs, uh, the the defunct pharmacy chain that sold out to you know Rite Aid and everybody else. Mm-hmm. But I remember having to you know go in the bathroom and clean up people's shit. Uh, and I'm like, w- how do people shit on the walls? This is insane, right? And while running the cash register, we'll see how
1: you need to go home and use a washcloth. Yeah, <laughs> you use the washcloth that night.
0: You're right. You're right. I scrubbed hard too. You ain't lying. <laughs> Yeah, because I just we uh, I didn't realize at the and, and and to go from there. So making four twenty five an hour, cleaning up people's shit. Now I make you know six figures, and I get to stay home and work from home during you know the worst pandemic of the last hundred years. And uh, and people like me have to be careful with the word "should" because mm-hmm. we may be making things worse if we're not being thoughtful about what we're doing.
1: Absolutely yeah i and I, I think for me i i have a, a really keen awareness about it um because um I, I grew up in a in a family where there were a lot of frontline workers right my grandmother and my aunt were domestics my uncle was um um uh what do you call gardener um mm-hmm. uh and they worked for rich white folks right mm-hmm. which was a very palpable real thing being from the south right yep and my mother um, is the only one of her siblings to be college educated, right? So that I have a really close relationship to folks who have to show, if you don't work, you don't eat, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't get that check. Your yep. hours are short. Your check is short. Yep. And so I, I think I've grown up with a really um, real awareness of that. I got my first job at age 16. I worked at um, United Artists, which doesn't even exist anymore. United Artists. It sounds theater. fancy.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I've heard of that. Mm-hmm.
1: We were fancy, our uniforms used to be a white, a button down bow tie and black vest. Okay. It was, it was fancy. Um, so I've been on the receiving end of people believing they can treat you like you are not a human being mm-hmm. because you are in a service position. Yep. Um, and then I've you know, been educated myself, right? And now I live in a very middle-class context. Mm-hmm. Um, and my child lives in a world where her worldview about class and money is so particularly skewed. I'm like, I have gone very, very wrong in the opposite (laughs) way, right? Um, At the same time, I don't want to have to go to show up to work, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to clean toilets, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know that there are people that genuinely love doing that, Mm -hmm. um, but there are people who still have the right and access to their humanity in Mm -hmm. doing that. Right. Mm -hmm. So if so said differently, if I'm not willing to do it, I don't get to look down on the people that are.
0: I agree. I think that's perfect. Um, Yes, uh, everybody. uh, There's a quote and I'm going to get it wrong. um, uh, And it's by Mencius, a very uh, old uh, philosopher, Chinese philosopher. And he basically said that. Um, without countrymen, there would be none to feed the citymen. Without citymen, there would be none to rule the countrymen. So the idea is that everybody is dependent on everyone else. Mm-hmm. Nobody is better than anybody else, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, and each side has an obligation to not only do their damn job, but also to make sure that the other side is cared for. And I love what you said: safety, respect. Yeah. I think those are those basic tenets go really, really far.
1: Yes. So, so the other piece that comes along with that that I also think about relevant to the break room, especially, is around sort of mental health and um, being a frontline worker, or, or mental health and being a wage earner, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you you could go to therapy because you schedule it out in your calendar, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, I'm going to be out for this hour. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and don't bother me. And don't yeah. bother yeah. me, right? <laughs> If you work, and this has become, I think for me, it became um, way more salient for me when I became a single parent. Like, if I were a single parent that was a frontline worker, I, I don't know how people make that work. I honestly Maybe. don't. And a single parent in the way that I am, right, that my extended family or people that I would be able to trust her with, they live four hours away at a minimum, right? We have... Mm-hmm. Framily is what I call it, right? Friends that we've made mm-hmm. family here. But those are people that come in, you know, for me to have a night out or mm-hmm. um, some time here or there or when there's emergency. But if I worked um, in the gas station, right? If I had mm-hmm. an overnight shift at the gas station, I can't bring my baby there. Yep. Well, how does that work, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have this really fraught system that's set up to really limit the opportunity for people to have full, sort of balanced whole lives, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so in a time of thinking about being in the pandemic where we all had high anxiety, right? We were all fearful. Where's the time for them to be able to say, I'm gonna go talk to a therapist about how I'm struggling with this job, right? Mm -hmm. I'm gonna choose to do that versus stay here and work some overtime or Mm -hmm. make this extra money. Um, So the, so there, their stresses are compounded, right, mm-hmm. in, in different ways than, than those of us that work in a different sort of proximity to, to whiteness um, mm-hmm. and, and, and sort of racial oppression. Mm-hmm. The proximity to class oppression, though, creates a different level of stress. Mm-hmm. But then you don't have the resources or time to be able to sort of...
0: Attend to that. And and, uh, now that I think about it, uh, thinking about y'all's bamboo washcloths uh, from earlier, (laughs) we actually probably made it even worse because everybody went online at the same time, right? And we started ordering food and groceries and order everything. Yeah. And somebody had to deliver those things in a time that we didn't know where the virus was coming from, if it was aerosolized. And yeah. I mean yeah. we we will be dealing with the fallout of how we treated each other for decades to yes, come.
1: I agree. I absolutely. Uh, agree.
0: So so then how do we heal all of this? How do we build a better system yeah. so that you know this doesn't suck so much?
1: So I think for a couple of things come to mind. One is um, one is long-term and one is I think we have to continue to have ongoing conversations just about um, a livable wage for folks, right? And, and how to compensate people. I think we have to have, you know, uh, um, there's sort of this um, agreed upon uh, perception that like history, the pendulum of history swings far one way and then swings back the other, right? And I think we have swung really far to a, a very toxic level of capitalism um, and classism that is not serving us. And so at some point, I think that that's gonna have to sort of swing back. I actually am super really excited about uh, Joe Biden's America. Um, And I don't know if you know a lot about what he said for his infrastructure plan and sort of a lot of the tension around that, but his framing around infrastructure is really one that is sort of centering some of what we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. It's how do you give people, if you recognize that the vast majority of folks in this country are workers, essential workers and frontline workers, then how do you create structures and supports that actually give them a life of dignity and life of of comfort, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think there's opportunity there. I think that's gonna be a long slog, but I think there'll be some changes, probably not as grand and vast as what he's proposed, but I think there will be some changes that come along with that. So I think there do have to be some sort of structural systemic changes.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I totally agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. um, I, I remember talking to someone and they were talking about how uh, the middle class in that when you have a healthy middle class, then everybody benefits. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, because uh, uh, you can continue to grow and try to make more money. And if you want to reach the upper class, you can't upper class. You, you know how that I'm using those terms in the um, uh, in that sense. Not not. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, whereas in. Um, uh, And a healthy middle class also means that there are people to uh, keep the money flowing, to keep the money moving, exchanging hands, creating businesses, employing Mm -hmm. people. And Mm -hmm. it's when you destroy that middle class and there is nobody um, having uh, babies, there's nobody creating businesses, that everything just slows down because uh, rich people getting richer, they have zero connection to the rest of us. And so they don't understand what it's like to... Uh, they don't understand the value of a dollar, and um, to to put it mildly. And so, as a result, I, I like um, pretty much everything that he was saying in his plan, especially with uh, the child care aspect, because if you don't have uh, cared for kids, then you're going to have screwed up adults. Uh, and that keeps me and you in business, but that's kids, not, help, you know, that's not helpful in the that's, long that's run. Really right.
1: <laughs> it's really, it's really not, no. um, and not to, to the level of severity. I think that's the other thing that's important to mention, right? We talked about the stress on compounded stress that oftentimes folks in lower SESs will experience or lower SESs should, will experience more chronicity or severe mm-hmm. mental health issues because there isn't access to mental health care. There isn't, and in addition to the sort of day in, day out, stressful situation of trying to make ends meet, right, Mm -hmm. try to to make a dollar out of 15 cents. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think those are like the long-term solutions. I think in the short term though, I do think um, we have individual responsibility to sort of check our internalized classism, right? Mm -hmm. That, what you were saying earlier about shooting all of ourselves, that we could talk about that in terms of internalized classism, right? That you think um, either that person is better than me because they have a better job, sort of simplistically, or I am better than someone else because I have earned this degree, right? Mm
0: -hmm. And I really
1: like this framing of being better off but not better than.
0: Okay, I like that.
1: And really being able to sort of check our internalized expectations for who deserves what or how right Mm -hmm. um and then i always talk about a practice of gratitude i think that applies for everyone you know there is actual science of the science of happiness what must it be like to be a harvard university psych professor where you can study happiness there's a whole happiness lab at harvard and their research has i know um, (laughs) talk (laughs) talk about class privilege
0: (laughs) yeah lord
1: um but there is a there's a um, substantive body of research that talks about when you are in a more positive mind state that you have actually more access to your prefrontal cortex. You have more executive functioning. You are literally thinking brighter and clearer and more creatively when you're in a happy mindset. So. Mm-hmm. And that the practice of gratitude is one way to sort of activate that for yourself. So I think that that's something that we can all do across the
0: board. Yeah, I can dig it. Yeah, one of the granular things I, um, as a business owner myself, um, I have learned all of the ways that the government is regulating us. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes I get really irritated because I'm like, oh, my God, I just need to get this done. Uh, But they do it for a reason, and it's to protect workers, protect people. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I always encourage folks that you need to know what your employees handbook says. You need to know what your rights um, uh, are, uh, also your responsibilities, right? So uh, if you are at work for longer than five hours continuously, you are uh, federally um, allowed to have a break period. If you're there for more than either eight to 10, I can't remember. Uh, it's like an hour break. It's it's all written down. Like yeah. if you go and read it, you will see what your what your rights are. And mm-hmm. I, I, I always encourage people to do that because business owners, some of them are not very thoughtful. Uh, some of them are assholes, frankly, and they will literally run you over and they will exploit and abuse you. And you have the legal right um, to protect yourself and your family. Yes.
1: Yeah. So that brings me to the other side of that, and that thinking about folks that might be listening to us or watching this later who are in supervisory or managerial roles, leadership roles, um, is to center your capacity for compassion, right? Like let's remember we are all human beings. Um, I'll speak very candidly from my experience, right? I, I am well compensated. Um, I am in a mid-level sort of position in the company I work in. And you remember, uh, Brian, we were without power here Mm -hmm. in the great state of Texas, in the middle of one of the most frigid um, ice storms we've had in some some extensive history. Mm -hmm. And many people were without power and many people were without water. Mm -hmm. And as that began to come back online, folks that I work with were sort of like, let's get back to it, right? Like nothing had happened. (laughs) And I was like, I'm traumatized. I'm gonna be real honest, I am traumatized. It took at least 24 to 36 hours for my body to actually calm down from being so stressed. One, trying to preserve heat. All of the, you know, I'm trying to care for me, my daughter, the dog in a Mm -hmm. home with no electricity. We didn't have a gas stove no running water, Um, and I needed a minute, right? Mm -hmm. But the expectation was to sort of keep rolling with it. Um, I heard today, unfortunately, there was another mass shooting yesterday in San Jose Mm -hmm. with the transit authority there. And so I heard part of the press conference this morning um, or, or earlier today, and some of the representatives, the upper representatives from the company were saying, if you um, need a moment, take your time or take a break, take time out to cry when you come to work. And I'm like, how about people just not have to come to work? Like, Correct. if there's been a mass shooting at your place of business, that should be one day.
0: At least one day. At
1: least one day.
0: <laughs> Lord mercy. So, so
1: I'm saying these are the, these are things that can happen most immediately, right? I don't know a company with more than 50 employees that doesn't have some sort of dei mission or focus right you Mm -hmm. want to talk about diversity equity and inclusion Mm -hmm. treating your employees with compassion attending to the mental health of folks recognizing that in acute or crisis situations you actually have a lot of power to give people a moment to breathe Mm -hmm. to to access people's humanity and honor that Mm -hmm. you would get a lot more out of those employees Mm-hmm. They would be a lot stronger sense of engagement and belongingness.
0: Absolutely. So managers and supervisors help create the culture at work. And if you want a toxic culture, ignore your employees, run them into the ground. That's how you create a toxic culture. If you want to create a culture of acceptance and inclusion, then you have to make space for it. I love that. Make space uh, and center your compassion. Amen. Dr. Nikki, Amen. <laughs>
1: I think that I really think it doesn't have to be rocket science, right? It can be little, simple things Mm -hmm. that can really go a very long way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other thing that I wanted to sort of talk about is it's not always easy to find. I'm not, I don't want to be sort of uh, Pollyanna ish, but there are increasing numbers of foundations that will offer vouchers or help subsidize um, mental health counseling for folks. Um, I know actually Taraji P. Henson has a foundation that is doing that. There's another one that is not coming to mind right now. Um, And then there are providers that may take a sliding scale. Um, You may be able to get services through um, your state Medicaid, depending on what state you are in. And so I want to just say that for folks who are our frontline workers, who um, perhaps um, are in lower socioeconomic statuses, that doesn't mean you don't have access or right to mental health care, mm-hmm. right? And that um, the sooner you go in for support and therapy, actually the less time you have to actually spend in therapy. Um, yep. And so it is much better to ask for help and figure out ways to get help sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. And there's also a rising increase in sort of these, um, not sort of, in uh, telehealth, platforms. I know there's um, BetterHelp and there's Talkspace, which may be more accessible or affordable for folks. Mm -hmm. But I want to sort of continue to normalize um, the, the acceptability of going to mental health counseling and therapy because of stress. We've become so normalized to being in a constant state of stress and overwhelm and disregard and disrespected in our society that I think people take for granted that it does have an impact on your mental well-being.
0: Amen. And I want
1: to encourage you to realize, no, that doesn't actually have to be the case.
0: Mm-hmm. Amen. And one of the one of the most powerful things I've done for my mental health, um, because this has just been the most stressful fucking year ever, um, mm-hmm. and one thing that I've done is I've made sure to vote um, mm-hmm. because there's something about putting my digits in that thing. And then I put that ballot in the computer and i uh, it feels like I've done something. And we had a runoff up, run up here in Fort Worth and I voted again. So uh, nice. and so I'm, I encourage y'all to do that because at the end of the day, the reason why we don't have the funds in the mental health uh, network and the mental health infrastructure is because other people don't put it as a priority so yes. we have to put in the people who put it as a priority so you have to vote for those candidates that are saying mental health is important mm-hmm. um and before uh you bring the tea dr nikki yes. uh when you said when you were talking about the um the icepocalypse thing that happened in mm-hmm. texas i was thinking about it the other day and if you've ever seen frozen the movie uh there's a part where have i i am oh, nine
1: year old let of it go I've seen frozen i have seen yeah. it one time <laughs> <than you. laughs> yeah, I, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know about that because uh, shoot, oh, trust me, the the cold never bothered me anyway. It did this time, right? Uh, yes, it
1: did. But
0: it it, it in that movie, you will remember there was a part where where um, Anna got hit with the ice and her mm-hmm. heart started freezing. And I kid you not, after that, it I don't even know that I'm still warm enough. Like yeah. That was so traumatic for me, that whole entire thing. And I'm still trying to figure out how to forgive the um, the jerks who caused it. I don't know if I can. Like I I need to. I do
1: not. Because there were people that lost their lives
0: over. uh, uh, I think I haven't confirmed this, but I saw a post where they said there uh, it, it is likely that over 700 people died from that, which just blows my mind.
1: In the United States of America, right? Mm. We're supposed to be the fucking flagship country (laughs) of the world. We're supposed to be where any dream is possible. You too can make it, right? And people die because we don't invest in the infrastructure to keep the electricity going in a winter storm. And it's really that simple. Mm. Somebody with a lot of money has decided, I don't want to give up some of my lot of money to make sure that people don't die. I just don't want to, so you can't make me.
0: Yep. And I just, uh, its a, it hurts my heart. Like, I just, I can't. Oh.
1: It does. And, and so that's why I say that we are, I think, we are in a state of toxic capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. It has swung too far. I, I do think that folks like um, Jeff Bezos and um, the... Uh, What's the other man's name? Uh, Bill Gates. Name, Kyle Eon oh. I call it child, Eon Flux, <laughs> but I don't even know how to pronounce the child's name. Yeah, the, the Tesla, Tesla guy. Man
0: yeah, Elon and Musk. And Bill Gates. Yeah. And, yes. right, mm-hmm.
1: to me it is disgusting that they can have that much money and have it be sort of socially sanctioned that they get to hide behind it and not pay taxes. Yep. Yet, I know that I pay mine. Every uh, who
0: are you telling? Oh my God, don't even get me started.
1: Right, so we... There needs, those are but those are longer term infrastructure sort of things. But but I I do like to stay in a space of hope and dreaming and imagining of a, of a world where things are more balanced because I do think that we could have a greater sense of collective happiness, collective mm-hmm. state of wellness mm-hmm. if we had a more balanced um, uh, structure that allowed people to live lives of dignity and decency. Um, and, and so, we absolutely, have the money to be able to do it.
0: Amen. So uh, apparently, your last nerve tonight is going to be flowers and rainbows and happiness. And... No,
1: but I wanted to put that out there so folks are, know oh, that okay. I have a balance, <laughs> right? Like, and, and quite honestly, part of why I get so passionate and I get so angry about the things that I get angry about is because mm-hmm. I am such a soft-hearted person. Like, it. I'm. I am. This is. This is a moment of vulnerability. I am a child who, there was this uh, cartoon movie, um, no, actually I think it was a made for television movie based on the story of The Hunchback of Notre Notre Dame, Notre Mm -hmm. Dame, Mm -hmm. um, that came on when I was a child. And I cried so hard Brian my mother turned oh. it off she was like you are literally making yourself sick Like, mm-hmm. and I was like but why are they so mean to him and he's just a man and like, I was like full body <laughs> heaving crying and she was mm-hmm. like go take a bath let's calm <laughs> you down <laughs> so I'd I feel it. things deeply um, mm-hmm. but I want to get on my last nerve and cuss a motherfucker mm-hmm. so as we have mentioned we live in the state of texas i can't call it a great state of texas um in the united states in a context in which my entire lifetime there has been a fight around women's bodies and women's access to autonomy over their bodies and specifically around the notion of abortion and our governor here in the state of texas just passed this law that said that women who are uh Uh, over six weeks pregnant, are not allowed to get an abortion. And there is no exemption for rape or incest. We want to also acknowledge that here in the state of Texas, a, a rapist also has access to paternal rights. And the level of disrespect, I don't even know if that's the word strong enough, but the level of disregard for the autonomy of women and their ability to make their own healthcare choices about their reproductive rights in this state, which is one among many in this country. It's absolutely disgusting and egregious, and it's so transparently patriarchal. Like there is no other reason to have these laws codified, codified outside of pseudo-religious patriarchy. And I don't even, I think they hide behind religion. I really don't even think it's about religion, but I think religion is a very lovely veneer to put on it that makes it hard for people to push back against. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: What I have a problem with is not so much that it disrespects women's autonomy, but but it it is such um, uh, hypocrisy, because you don't actually value human life. If you actually valued human life, you would give people a living wage. People would have affordable housing. People would have access to health care. Children would be able to go to school in safe places. That was my two minute timer. So, the other layer here is that uh, what has made this particular, particular bill so interesting is that he's also empowered private citizens to sue health care providers who provide abortions.
0: I saw that shit. What that does
1: is create a sequelae of negative health outcomes for the lowest um, lowest income among most likely brown and black women who are already highly susceptible to maternal complications to low birth weight children to um, infant mortality, all of these things. You created now a system that is going to exponentially differentially impact those of us that are most vulnerable and most marginalized just to get elected just so that you can remain in power. And I'm pissed the fuck off about it in in ways that I cannot fully articulate here.
0: I am with your sister. So done. If you cared about kids, if you cared about anybody, yeah, you wouldn't be putting them in cages. You wouldn't have a shitty CPS system. You would be treating, oh, don't, yes, Lord, I'm i'm jumping on your last nerve. No, I, no because, I'm, yes, it was
1: enough for us to both yeah. get on it. I, I, stop it. I, <laughs> stop on the last nerve. So, um, I don't know what's going to happen with the Supreme Court. I honestly don't because this is going to go up. There's one from Mississippi that's going up now. Um, I just think it's absurd that this is even a conversation that we have around federal legis- legislation. There is no other medical procedure that exists that is mm-hmm. under legal scrutiny. Like, I don't what
0: You're 100% correct. Agree. None other. Mm.
1: Anyway, y'all done got my nurse worked up.
0: Ooh, well. it's, <laughs>
1: it's, it's been a joy and a pleasure to spend this time with you. Um, I hope whoever listens, whoever has been here with us tonight, I hope you got something out of it. If you take nothing else, I would want to remind people to practice a uh, gratitude practice. Like, if you don't do anything else, take that little nugget away because that's something we all can do. And join us back here um, on next Thursday at 7 p.m. CST, 8 p.m. Eastern, Five PM <laughs> I had to do the extra math. Five PM Pacific. Actually, um, we're gonna have Doctor Lawanda, um, I believe, or perhaps Doctor G Day, um, mm-hmm. who are gonna be here and we're gonna talk about Pride because it's gonna be the start of Pride month. Yes, Happy Queen. Bye y'all. Right. Bye y'all. <laughs> peace, peace, mm-hmm. peace.